And we are back. We are de- we are delving. Woohoo! The delves. That thing where we mostly watch sci-fi. Ninety-nine percent of the time. Classic sci-fi, or sci-fi that has been recommended to us as classic. Sci-fi of note. Because I would say some stuff we haven't done is classic. We did Dread, which sure. is only like three years old. Some things are crap. I cite the splice. Splice, yeah, that thing. The thing I try hard to block out of my brain until I bring it back up again. No, no, no. It, it, that is a bonding moment for this podcast. <laughs> Our hatred of Splice. Oh, it's horrible. Josh couldn't believe that either. She's like, oh, it was fine. No. <laughs> she watched on one, 1. 1.5. <laughs> All right. So this week on The Delve, we are doing one of my favorite movies, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Dreyfus's second run with Spielberg, and Spielberg's follow-up through Jaws, because Jaws just went gangbusters movie sales, and they said, what do you want to do? Do anything you want, Steve. Steve said, well, this guy's been kicking around the script I want to change entirely. Cool? Yeah, sure. We'll give you a pile of money. And they did. And I love, like, he, like, everyone was bending over backwards to be part of his shit. Um... Like, when you look at the casting list on Wikipedia, they're like, all these people were considered, and he wanted these people, and Richard Dreyfus just, every day, shot one down his one of them. in Jaws, and he's just like, you know, that guy's not funny. I'm funny. <laughs> he's crazy. I think Jack Nicholson is crazy. He is. Jack Nicholson actually turned down for scheduling conflicts. But other people considered for this role, Dustin Hoffman, Al Pacino, Gene Hackman, and Steve McQueen, who turned down because Steve McQueen couldn't cry on command. This is a real man. Real men don't cry. Like, he was actually impressed with the script, but Steve McQueen's just like, uh, I am specifically just, I can't do this role. I can't cry. So, so it called for the usual people who were called for in the 70s for a leading man role. Absolutely. Chino, you know, but Chino and Hoffman, who were bitter rivals back then. Mm-hmm. So apparently... Um, Dreyfus just walked by his office once a day and just, like, launched this campaign. He's like, he would, I'd walk by Steve's office and say things like, Al Pacino has no sense of humor. Jack Nicholson's too crazy. Fact. All these are facts, but still. <laughs> Jack Nicholson is too crazy. And Al Pacino, from what I understand, has no sense of humor. Which is why he hates Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> Dustin Hoffman is hilarious. Well, that's how they got him to do Dog Day Afternoon. Yeah. The director said, well, we're considering, or his agent said, well, they're considering Justin Hoffman. He took it on the spot. Awesome. <laughs> Why do they hate each other so much? I, I, I'm interested in a, a professional rivalry back then. I want to see a documentary about that. Someone make it happen. Put it on Kickstarter. Or just, you know, use normal money. So the cast is decent. I mean, we've got Terry Garr, um, who wanted to play... Uh, the single mom role, but ended up being the true of a wife role. Uh, yeah. Other people I don't really know that much, but were like solid cast members. Like I think they're just not. No, it's a strong ensemble. Absolutely. Which is usually what you get when you get a bunch of people who aren't actors. And this is back when I loved Spielberg, because there's times when I adore Spielberg, and there's times where I'm just like, you say what now? Like, uh, am I going right with, not Centennial Man, what's the one with the... AI? AI. No. Every once in a while, he, he 
just really pisses in the bucket bad, but everyone does though. But like when he's done like what thirty films, but like Jaws, and then this this was fantastic. When you do like thirty films, you're going to miss a few shots. Sure, I'm not saying that he's perfect. He's not perfect, obviously. I just want now. I want to like rook really quick at. You know, I I enjoyed Lincoln. And I just I haven't seen it. It's long, and if you don't like history, it'll be boring. But it's got your favorite actor in it, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I do love Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He's fantastic. Really? What's he playing in? He plays Lincoln's son. Okay. That can't be a huge role. It's a, it's a moderately sized supporting role. Spielberg's thing, Spielberg's article is so long, I can't actually find his filmography. It might be a separate page. I'm sure it's a separate page, but usually there's a link. But no, he's... What's he have coming up next? Here we go. He had Jaws, Close Encounters... Follows up with Raiders of the Lost Ark. Follows up with E.T. Follows up with Temple of Doom. That is a huge run. And then, like, he does Color Purple Empire of the Sun, which lots of people love, and I've never really seen either one of those. I saw, I've saw. i seen scenes from Color Purple in school. Follows that up with Last Crusade. And then it starts... And then he does Always, which I've never heard about. And then he does Hook, Jurassic Park, Schindler's List. The second to Jurassic Park. Just, this, this man's crazy. No, he, he, has, he has a fantastic run until, like I said, he starts to get like, shaky in the 2000s. He does AI. He does Minority Part, which I remember us both having good We enjoy it. We definitely enjoy it. I think that's, I feel like that's back to what he, you know, sure. he's best at. I actually enjoy Catch Me If You Can. And then he really, like, <laughs> The Terminal or The World's Munich, Crystal Skull. I haven't seen Tintin. I, I, I intend to. I haven't either, and it's something that we should watch. I, I didn't see War Horse. And I just mentioned Lincoln. And then he's doing something called St. James Place? An American historical biography spy thriller. I mean, but if you look at his, you know, his Ron Tomatoes rankings, they're, with a few exceptions, in the, you know, 70s and up. No, like he does, like when he's on, he's on, and when he's off, it's only for like a movie. It, or even, you know, he's a stretch of like stuff that's like a seventy percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And I will say that maybe, like, like he's probably come to this point where he's just like, I want to do different things, and not everyone likes seeing you do different. Well, things. he's done, but he's also done a huge variety of things. Sure. I mean, that you can always pick out a Spielberg film. There's a there's a, a sense to it. There's a there's a, a sense of style. Mm-hmm. And this was, I loved the cast of this movie. Like, I especially liked the science team. That's, like, following around all these appearances. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the map maker, the French... The French guy, the map maker, great. Yeah, together. I love that scene where they're, like, trying to find a globe. And they're like, that globe's, like, $4,000. Like, aliens, man. <laughs> like, Spielberg did a brilliant job at time. this very disparate... Lots of things. Like, there's like two real stories going on at the same time. Sure, and he ties them together really well. And this is actually now that we're like seven and a half minutes into this end of this episode. What's this movie at all about? All right, because we've completely missed that point as as we always do. Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which I would like to touch back on because I'm like Third Kind is an interesting concept. Yes, yeah. but Close Encounters of the Third Kind is an ensemble piece that focuses around aliens coming to Earth. And having been returning things to the planets, and it seems like wanting to make contact with the human species for the first time ever, as opposed to just kind of 
studying this. Make, make, make a first direct contact. So we see a, a couple different points of view. One from the individual small town dude in Indiana and like that area, and then the government's like going around. I don't always find all of it believable, but maybe for that time period it was. Just because, like, I, I feel the government reaction is a little, like, softball. Although maybe they just didn't believe it was going to happen until it happened and they weren't really ready. You know, you have your alien encounter plan kind of stuck away. So Spielberg and his infinite creativity does well at tying this stuff together. I believe he based his script on someone else's idea. Didn't like their scripts. A couple of rewrites were done. Couldn't do it. He finally, I think, took a a firm hand in rewriting it. He's listed as the, I think he's listed as the sole writer on the movie, so. But he definitely pulled at least aspects from previous scripts. And there were a lot of conversations like what type of role, <laughs> what type of main character should the main character be. But the fact that he's listed as the sole writer, that's a pretty big... It can also be political. It could be political, but still a pretty big thing that, you know, he's... That there's no other, like, that the person had no, like, recourse of getting their name on the film at all. Absolutely. So... Even as, even as an adapted from. Mm -hmm. And that's, well, from what I understand, the story was changed enough that it really wouldn't be recognizable as the same thing. It, the original concept was much more of like a weird spy piece. Well, I mean, we're used to film now where you have, when you see four writers on a film. It's not surprising. You, well, you, you'll, the reason you'll see that is, you know, this guy wrote a script, this guy modified it, this guy modified that, and this guy, you know. Like, God help Ant-Man if it makes any Oscars for script writing. <laughs> I think that might be first Marvel. I, if that's Marvel's first bomb, I, I won't be surprised. I think it's going to be okay, but we'll see. I think it's I'm, well conceivable I'm going to see it. Could it could be good, but I think it also has that... This could be the first chink in Marvel's armor. Um, It could be. At the same time, I I feel like we might be coming up against an Iron Man 1. Where, like, we just... No one sees it coming. We'll see. I like Paul Rudd, so... I mean, I'm going to see it... I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the production and how it came about. It's like, been messy. It's been really messy. I mean, no one's the Guardians of the Galaxy being a hit. Exactly. So. But even if it is weak, we both know that I don't see... I see them rolling with their punches. That, and I don't see comic book movies lasting past Avengers 4. I was going to say... Are we, are we calling Avengers 4, Avengers 3 Part 2? Yeah. Okay. Like, the second part then of that. We're, then we're on the same page. It's like, does he mean there's a whole fucking other, like... No. People will want to see what happens at the conclusion of that, <laughs> but I think superhero movies are going to start, like, we're, we're crashing gonna, I down. think we're going to start seeing Dimension Returns after this year. I think okay. Avengers 2 is the sort of the... And because they cost so much money to make, they're going to pull back. I think, hopefully, we'll... Even that, TV's going to... Like, they're going to bomb out of TV before long, but it's just not that much time. You know, five years from now... I think we're going to see an end to Tiger Arrow and Flash, but they'll have had good long runs. Yeah, if you have a if you have a four year show, that's a it's a fine run for a drama. Sure. If you go longer than that, you are in a disastrous territory actually for writing. And I'm excited about that prospect because while I disagree with a lot of the Oscar slant towards um, criticizing superhero movies, I think that a lot of love and excitement has been put into them. But I want to see, like we've shown recently, that we haven't lost the spirit of science fiction. No, I think I, I think we've, it's been bigger over the past three, four years. And I, I can't wait to see what kind of movies we get when all that money is being directed somewhere else. 
I'll be interested in seeing where it's going. I'm going to see. I want. I wonder how Star Wars is going to get handled by Disney. Yeah, we still got that. That ain't going anywhere. That's coming out next year or and, this year. And while it's still Star Wars is on the plate for this Christmas. No, yeah, so. no, we're just. I mean, I was continuing the <laughs> okay. thought. We're also. I think it's a little up and down, rumor not rumor, but I'm pretty sure we're going to see an Indiana Jones film in 17. Okay. And they were like. I don't think Pratt is confirmed, but he seems to be the front runner. Uh, I don't. I don't know if I want him in everything. I am fully appreciate. I think it's fine because I think that like if Han Solo pulled it off, you know, mm-hmm. if if Harrison Ford can do it, then why can't he? Well, he's he's already Guardians, which is gonna be a, a two or three films. He did Guardians. I think he's gonna bomb Jurassic, but I think that it's because Jurassic's gonna bomb. Okay. Not necessarily him. I think that his role kind of seems silly, but I don't know that much. No one knows anything. But in any case, I'm going to go see it in the theater because it's Jurassic Park. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be there. But I think, I don't think they're going to pull it back enough. And they let that franchise crash hard. We'll see. But I, I would I would be perfectly happy with them taking a run at a, a more serialized Indiana Jones where it's not like the Ark of the Covenant. It's not like it's not a reboot. It's just further more stories. That's where they need to go. Mm-hmm. And I think that Spielberg is well capable of being like, "Oh, you guys just wanted an adventure story that has no like meaningful impact to the character. I'm on it." Is he even on that? He's confirmed. Okay. If it happens, he's doing it. And he seemed okay with Pratt. Although the last time I heard Harrison Ford talk. They were talking about what's his face, like taking over the the role, like I, taking over the hats and everything. I, I don't think anyone's gonna like you know. I, now that Disney has has reigns, mm-hmm. well, it was it was less that, and it was more like I just loved Harrison Ford's response, which is like, hell, he can get his own hat. This is my hat and I earned. <laughs> okay, like he would he wasn't okay with anyone taking over his spot. I think now it's just like, dude, it's time. You're seventy. You know, you're in your mid seventies. And, like, I don't think people want to see, like, 60s Indiana Jones. I think they want to see... I thought that was an interesting idea to do 50s Indiana Jones. I don't think it was executed well. Definitely not. It could have been done better. They were trying too hard to spin it off. They wanted the ability to make more. They wanted to make about William they sacrificed the, they, Yeah, they sacrificed the plot for it. So, back to Close Counters of the Third Kind. Which is Spielberg. We diverged parallel. <laughs> we, we diverged and then kind of stayed there. I don't know. Fantastic movie. Great cast. Um, I think you can't talk about Close Encounters of the Third Kind without talking about the music. I wasn't going to. It, not talk about the... You know what I mean. Yes. It's fantastic. It's so well-pieced. I mean, there's so many different aspects of the movie to, to talk about. Like, I could beat the cast to, to death. They were fantastic. The music was beautiful, because not only did you just have well-done music, and it was done by John Williams, it's of a, course. You could tell. You can, if it's a Spielberg film, right. literally assume it's a John Williams score. But not only was the score just brilliant and well-entrenched, but they tied it completely into the plot, which I felt was was great. and made total sense. Because music is one of those things where a lot of music is math. And math is really how we're supposed to communicate with. Well, that's definitely been beings. our our presumption, our storytelling mentality of how we're 
use maths, you know, what is a poly, you know, the... I think it's logical, but also just for the sake of this it's the way we can tell was done. It's the way we can tell stories. Sure. Um, I think it makes sense, but I also, like I said, I also just think this was done in... 77. 77, and it just makes perfect sense for the time. This is actually, for 77, it's just such a fantastic movie. I'm not sure what you mean by that. It seems ahead of its time. It see to me it defines the time. It's a defining mentality. You know, it's a defining t- mentality of you know. Sort of the point to me about this film is that you know this is humanity's chance to take a step forward. This is our invitation to the larger cosmos. Sure. And this is that you know that humanist philosophy that we've talked about with Cosmos, the TV show. Mm-hmm. And this is sort of the narrative fictional form of that. That same exact. This is our time, right here, right now. And I get it from that perspective. I guess my perspective is more like, there are some movies that I see from the 70s. I'm like, yep, this movie was done in the 70s. And there are some movies like this, where it seems out of time. I, I think what you're picking up on is sort of, this is not a cynical film at all. A what? This is not a cynical film about man's future. It's not a cynical film. It's not a hokey film. I mean, I'm going to pull into things like the cinematography definitely felt apart from a lot of the stuff that you see in the 70s. But it's also, you know, talking about Steven Spielberg, who is a great director and is really pushing that limit here. Absolutely. Um, and there's a lot of stuff. Uh, don't get me wrong. Like, how many movies from the 70s do I adore? It's just It just felt different. It's like, for instance, okay. Uh, what two years before that was Jaws? Okay, Jaws feels like a seventies movie. Yes, this feels like. I know it seems it's it doesn't make much sense, but it seems like it's on the cusp of that next decade. Like, like it just it feels almost as much like an eighties movie as it is a seventies movie. I I think a lot of that comes from you know you see. We you know we, we talk about Star Wars sort of being a major major point of seventies films. Sure, exact or seventies and eighties. And Lucas and Spielberg are best friends. Best friends, and Star Wars is a huge influence. But you do see reverberations of this film and this mentality down the road. Sure, and, I, I mean, mean we did Starman about a year and change ago now. Starman, um, Last Starfighter even feels yeah. like there's. You have this mentality reasons. of you know. Human, humanity's transition. Mm-hmm. And we still talk about that, and I think things like Interstellar talk about these, you know, linchpin points, these, you know, these these key moments in human, in human, in human history. I like your point, though. Um, I, I Now that you've, you've emphasized it, I love your point about its relation to Cosmos and being like that. It, it makes total sense, and it's absolutely true, where this is like the filmography version of of the cosmos's entire message. <laughs> that, you know, here's where we make our stand. Mm-hmm. This is us, this is now. And I like that they, you know, as much as I might not feel it realistic, I love that, for the most part, the military role is downplayed. Like, it could be a lot more cynical. If it, honestly, I think that that's the weakest part of the film for me, is the military story. I really like the Richard Dreyfuss story, and I think, mm-hmm. as a personal character, that's a fantastic story. I like that, and I like the science quest. And the science. I think the military, I'm not interested in. I think it kind of detracts from the film for me, even. Definitely. And I don't know. Again, we were just saying this before the show. I watched the theatrical cut. Sure. You watched the director's cut. Um, 
The Blu-ray has all three edits of the film. And I'll watch all three eventually. I'm going to watch the director's cut next whenever I, you know, I mean, I'm, have the urge to watch this again. We're talking about it so much now, I might watch it tonight. But. I'll maybe watch it like five years from now, the way I watch films. But in any case, I the only explanation that I really have for it is it feels like, like, just the military is so disbelieving until it's right on top of them, and they're like, and scientists are going, no, we have coordinates. <laughs> And at that point, you're like, they're like, okay, so that's as much as they can scramble together. And it is the 70s, so they're not like, it's not as much of an omnipresent big brother. No, you're also coming down from Vietnam, so there is a, honestly, there'd be surplus going around. But I think that you don't want to have that as much in the film that that would have become an overbearing element. Sure. Let's talk a little bit, like you mentioned it, let's talk a little bit about the writing. Okay. Um, I just want to compliment the fact that Spielberg did a very good job at writing the Richard Dreyfus storyline. Because, like, half an inch either way, and this would have just been on, like, a, an insane man that you couldn't. So between the writing and just the... Richard Dreyfuss is acting, you were able to engage with this man that was just unhinged. And he was unhinged. He was, like, he was rampant. There is no reason that, you know, to not agree with his wife he's, he's gone nuts. Absolutely, absolutely. But between just the writing and his portrayal and the fact that you were watching the show, but really you were pulled out of that. You're just, just those two things, like, you were rooting for him. Well, you, well, see, also as the audience, you know something strange has happened. And you know he saw something real. Yes. So no matter what, you know that at the end of the day, he was right. He saw something real, and her not believing him isn't correct. But from the outside, if you're just like, if you don't know that fact, this man is bonkers. Even even knowing that fact, it's still something he's wrong. He's completely with him. off kilter. You know, mm-hmm. he's been knocked off kilter entirely. And that's like my favorite part of this movie is the first twenty or thirty minutes, just like seeing that like slice of life intro and just seeing the. The first time he sees them in the encounters, it's brilliant. So you wanted to address the third kind element. I do. Um, I I forgot to look it up, but I'm curious um, about the, the, the kind formula. Like, Close Encounters, what would be of the first kind? Oh, it was on, it's actually on the Blu-ray back cover. Okay. The, the blurb about that is sort of... Um, I think it's like leaving things for humans was the first kind, mm-hmm. taking things as the second kind, meeting as the third kind. Okay. So, like, all right. So, like, whatever unexplained building structures would be first kind. Yeah. Taking planes is... Second kind. I might be misrecording it, but it's sort of... Something like that, though. Yes. Okay. Because I've heard and more modern storytelling, which is obviously referencing him, like the fourth kind things. Like, but I th- still think they had to do with aliens. So, interesting. It's a very interesting point of view. How about, um, like, he does a really good job at, like, okay, so, you see the flying saucers in the air, right? Okay. And nothing that anything, like, planes are returning. Like, mm-hmm. But he's still filming it in a way that's very scary. Like, that scene where the boy is abducted. I'm surprised he never did a true horror. Like, he'd do so well. Film. 
he would do it so well because that like there were several scenes in this that are just like freaky out of your mind. Especially like the concepts for the aliens were terrifying. Not because like we've all we've all seen those little gray men things, but he the way they move. He does not only like he made them, he designed them to be much more thinner and taller, and they moved almost like insects. And it was just like those things. This is the first time you see it. Oh yeah, and you never really get a good like view of them. Then you do in the until the, the very end. end. Yeah, like till the very end, but not until like. They pop out and start mm-hmm. taking people onto the flying saucer. Yeah. And even then, at first, you don't. You just see their silhouettes. But, um. But it's just like the silhouettes themselves are just terrifying the way they move, the way they. Like, I love that. Because he's channeling that. He wants you. Well, he's channeling that fear of the unknown. Right. He wants you to not be certain what's going on. He wants you to acknowledge. The really question is this good? Is this bad? What's. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think he wants you to recognize that that what you're being scared of. I loved it. I loved, I thought that, um, who is Melinda, Melinda Dillon, who's the single mom? I thought she, she carried her terror in that role. Like, that scene was palpable. It was just, he, sh- like, if he did a scary movie, he'd knock it out of the park. I'm surprised he never did a, like, he never really did a horror film. I don't it's what I know of Spielberg. Just I like, didn't see him as a horror guy. Yeah, he just doesn't seem. He's done a lot of sci-fi. Sure. I mean, he's really probably one of the definers of absolutely science sort of late 20th century science fiction, science fiction and adventure, adventure and historical. increasingly historical stuff now. And I like, and it's great, and I like, I think it was wonderful. But I think that like I'm, I was tweeting that night, and I'm just like, this is terrifying. Also, I don't think he really he always said that had a little bit of prestige to it. Hmm. And especially in the eighties, sure, horror is a, you know, sure bit th- of bit of a trash category. I think that that's changing a little in certain circles, just because like Josh Whedon is doing things like Cabin in the Woods. And yeah, you're like okay, well you're bringing more well, it, intelligence. It's changing because those eighties films have some real craftsmanship. Sure, like you can't look at Hellraiser and not say there's a level of artistry to that film. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I'm saying this is someone who does not like horror. Absolutely. And I'm, uh, I know it's not quite the same because it's, it's as much science fiction as horror, but like the idea that they're making an alien movie that just acknowledges alien and aliens mm-hmm. and pops off and Sigourney Weaver's going to be in it. I, uh, I died a little bit of joy. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited for that. I do like me some Neil Blomkamp. Mm. So. It, it, Looks like it's gonna be like we know nothing about just, it. Yeah, we only know that it's ignoring anything that isn't alien or aliens. So when it's Neil Blomkamp, when and it's where we were gonna be back, but she's been in every alien film. But still, yeah, I don't. I like the fact that we're getting something that's not really a reboot. Mm-hmm. Like we've done that. Like we do we've, reboots. We've all been the time. there, right? We've been there with Alien, right? Like, um, well, prequel, but still. Well, I think we're getting more Prometheus films anyway. Like, this isn't deleting the Prometheus films that are also going to be coming out around the same time. We are. And I'm still not sure how to feel about Prometheus. <sighs> I gotta watch it again. It's a, it's just a mess of a story, I think. But in any case, this is, like, he might, no one can argue that Steven Spielberg directed science fiction within, like, the latter half of the century. And even... He's still, he's, I think, you know, he may do one or two more before he retires. I think we're going to get 
I still think we're going to get like a piece of resistance and sci-fi from him. I know. I, I, I absolutely agree. We're going to get like one just out of the park. We didn't see it coming. I, I feel or like it's a total disaster. Oh, it's either going to be he's going to do know, that too. Hundred or zero with his with his last sci-fi. Film. I think we're going to get both. I don't. I don't think there's enough time to get both. He's not a young man. He's not that old though. In the seventies. I just don't think that's that old anymore. You know what I mean? It. You know, things could happen. He could just literally just retire. He's sixty-eight. I mean, that's still not. He's fine. We're gonna get more. We're, we've got maybe five films. Yeah, and I think two of them could be sci-fi. Two of them could be, but I don't know if he could also just say, "I'm not doing any more films." He's not going to do that. I know he could. He could, but he's not going. Or he could be like, "I'm making one last film, and all his time on that." He he's going to retire like Stephen King's retired. I mean, so not exactly. He's going to be like, "Well, uh, I'm getting long in the tooth, and uh, don't get into this book." Oh, but I, uh, it's time. I really want to do this movie. No, I, I think he's got one great film left in him. I agree, but I still think we'll get a couple crappy ones, too. I think I, and I, I really want to see him do a total flop. Like, I want to see his overly high concept, makes no sense film. I thought that was AI. <laughs> Possibly a space opera. <laughs> I, I, I want to believe that we're back in the era of space opera. And that Jupiter Sandy did not kill that genre? Yeah, I mean, I understand everyone in the circles we Twitter on that were like, you have to see this no matter what. It may be horrible, but you have to see it. And I'm like, no. Oh, it's amazing. It's, no, you really, everyone should see this film. I am not going to, but. I don't know your aversion to it. I just don't see, I don't acknowledge that a space opera and good visuals is enough to make a movie needing to be seen. I disagree. And you you are allowed to. I need be- a better package. Like, just good visuals isn't enough for me. I need a story. Good visuals, create creative storytelling. Creative storytelling is not the same as good storytelling. I didn't say it was good. And I want to, like, to me, the story is everything. So many brilliant stories have been done with, like, nothing visually. And still, I'm just knocked it out of the park. I think we, we hit a point, though, with space and sci-fi where people like to get super minimalist. And I don't necessarily like the minimalist look. And I don't mind that. And I think that I, I welcome these – I like I want a movie like Jupiter Ascending visually, but by God, give me a good story. I, I, and I want to reward people trying. I'd rather people try and fail, make the same, make the same generic okay films. Yeah, but the problem is that these things cost too much. To reward that. Oh, I, re- I reward it personally. My dollar is rewarding trying and failing. And that's fine, but a lot of people don't make the kind of money where they can just be like, oh, well, the visuals were great. Well, I you, guess I'll give you 20 You bucks. go at 10 in the morning. You get up on the, early in the morning to see these movies. I don't know why people go more at, to movies after noon. Movies should only be seen before noon. In any case, I hope that we get more space operas, but I want a little more story out of mine. We've never gotten a lot of story out of space opera. They say what you will about Star Wars. It was a well-put-together story. It's, it's, it's a well-put-together film. It's not a well-put-together story. I like the story. The story is enjoyable, but it's not well-put-together. And it's not... It's not ambiguous. It's clear-cut. There's not a lot of jumping around. Now, in the next Star Wars movies, that's not going to be the case anymore. That's going to be a disaster. Those films are 
It's going to be more of a mess than Jupiter's Ending was. Probably, but, you know, they got me grandfathered in. I know. But uh, people will reward the names they've seen before. But, just as an end to this, since it's more fitting in the Delph, this, the Star Wars comics? Fantastic. The main comic has two issues. It's fantastic. Darth Vader has two issues. It's fantastic. And starting Wednesday, we get the Princess Leia miniseries, and that should be cool, too. Hopefully. Saw some sketches. It looks good. And then in April, they're doing a prequel to Star Wars Rebels, that kids show, called The Last Padawan. But, like, so Disney at least has done one thing in the franchise right so far. The comics, like, you read, um... I read the, the, the chunk of the Dark Horse book. And that was an interesting Star Wars comic, and I liked it. But these are Star Wars comics. They feel like the movies. That's the best way I can describe it. Thus far, at least. And amazingly, they're doing Darth Vader well, and I did not see any good way to do him. Of course, it helps that, you know, finally someone called him out on his shit and said, Darth, you are just not a planner. <laughs> just uh, go poke the people with that light sword that I tell you to poke. Um, what's next on the Delph? Next up is the anime film called uh, Gal Force. I haven't seen this, but this is often recommended by uh, Anime World Order's Daryl Rathkolb as his favorite film. And since it is sci-fi, I dined to put it on the Delve list, and the dice has been cast. There we go. Well, uh, we'll get back to you and watch that. 